0: Well, on Thursday nights, uh, for the last couple of weeks, we finished, uh, Second Peter and we've just doing a couple of weeks on spiritual disciplines. And we've looked at the discipline of the word and, uh, the discipline of worship. And, and last week we looked at, you know, how to be disciplined in prayer. And there were six main things that we covered. Uh, first, what prayer is communication with God through things like thanksgiving, confession, petition and intercession, uh, what we should be praying for. Everything, where should we pray, everywhere, when should we pray, all the time, how should we pray, in a a way that's appropriate for where you're actually seeking to pray. And why should we pray? And we could give a thousand answers for this, but ultimately because God commands us to. And there are just so many important things that, that we have with prayer. And, you know, so I wanted to follow that up this morning. I know we've been in, uh, first Corinthians. We're about to finish it, but, uh, I wanted to follow it up with two things that Jesus teaches us on prayer that I think is just a great follow up to what we already have looked at on prayer. And so Jesus in Matthew chapter six shares two very important things about prayer. First, the motive, uh, that God God doesn't want us to have when we pray and the motive that he does want us to have when we pray. And second, the way that God doesn't want us to communicate to him through prayer and the way that God does want us to communicate to him through prayer. And, and both of these things that Jesus shares with us are, are very important for us to understand so that we can pray the way that God desires us to, so that we can you know, use prayer uh, in the most effective way possible. And so Jesus starts with the motive, uh, which is so important for us because, you know, we can know all about how to pray and where to pray and all these things, but if we miss the motive behind it, then it has a, a drastic impact, either positively or negatively, on our prayer, depending on what our motive is. And so Jesus is going to start with saying, hey, this is the motive that you shouldn't have, and here's the motive that you should have when you come to God in prayer. So Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 5 and 6, this is what we learn. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly." So Jesus here starts off with the motive that you and I should not have when we pray, and he gives an example. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now, this is an interesting word that Jesus uses here. It actually was used in the Greek for people who were in plays and they would take these masks and they would hold them in front of their face and they were playing a part. They were wanting to be seen as something that they weren't. And that's what a hypocrite is. It's someone who wants to be seen as something that they're not. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't pray like these hypocrites who are wanting to be seen as something they aren't. And Jesus goes uh, to share with us how they do that because he says, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Now, in Jesus' day, there were people who loved to pray in front of others, and there were two main places that you could go. If you wanted to pray so that others could hear you pray, you could go to the synagogue where, you know, especially as a man, you had uh, lots of opportunities to pray in a public setting, but you could also go to the street corner, and on the street corner, there was three main times during the day that people would come and they would pray aloud for people to hear them. Uh, That was at nine in the morning, at noon, and at At 3 p.m., but you know, something important for us to understand is that Jesus is not saying public prayer is wrong. Do not publicly pray. If you publicly pray, you're in sin. He's not bashing or saying anything against public prayer. There's nothing wrong with wanting to pray in the synagogue, there's nothing wrong with wanting to pray publicly on the street corner. The problem is the motivation. What is motivating these people to go to the synagogue and pray in front of others? What is motivating these people to go to the street corner and pray in front of others? And we're told in verse 5 what their motive is, that they may be seen by the people that are there. That's the motive. Oh, I'm going to the synagogue and praying so that everyone can see me pray and look at how spiritual I am. And I'm going to the street corners, and I'm going to go at every single time that there's people there. And I'm praying so that people can see me. Now, this is interesting because prayer is communication with God. So when we're praying, we're we're speaking to God. We're seeking God to answer our prayers. It's all about us and him, this communication between us and him. What it's not about is communication between us and the people listening to us. We're not praying for their benefit. We're praying, for, you know, to, to communicate with God. But notice the difference between these people and their motive. They're not there to pray so that God can hear. They're not praying so that God can answer. They want everybody around them to hear. You know, I'm praying so that you'll hear me pray and that you'll think I'm so spiritual and that you'll do these things, you know, think these things of me. And that's why I'm, Jesus says, a hypocrite. Because, you know, I'm missing the whole point. I'm wanting to be seen as something that I'm not in my prayer life. And so they're going in these public places and they're praying, not because they're truly godly people who love to pray and want to intercede on behalf of others and pray to God. They're just going to public places so that people look at them and think, wow, look at you. Aren't you so spiritual standing on that street corner praying or standing in the synagogue praying? But they're really not. Jesus says they are hypocrites because their heart motive is wrong you know something we need to understand about prayer is the act of praying is not what's most important to God it's the motive of the heart you know you can stand up all day and say words and, and you know and pretend like you're really actually praying but if your heart motive is just to be seen is just to be you know people would think something you know highly of you or whatever then you've missed the whole point of what prayer is about you know when I grew up I grew up in a church where there was a lot of show, uh, and I've shared that with you in different areas. But prayer was one of those areas where, you know, it just seemed like, you know, there's this a few people especially every week who who love to put on kind of the prayer show and I always noticed something really weird when they would talk to you they would have their normal voice and then all of a sudden they got this special prayer voice when they would pray aloud and the other thing I found was really weird is then they start using this like King James English and thou O Lord thy God pray and it's like this well wait a second that doesn't sound like you at all and you know they'd get up and their voice would be raised and they'd use all this and you know it was just kind of this show for many of them that they were putting on for people and Jesus is saying that's not the way it should be the motive isn't to impress the motive isn't to be seen by people at all but notice what Jesus says at the end of verse 5 assuredly I say to you they have their reward a, a more full translation of this is they have their reward in full what Jesus is saying is, if your desire, your motive in prayer is to be seen by people, then that's all reward you're going to get. The praise that they give to you, the thoughts that they have towards you because you're putting on a show for them, that's it. Now, this is the, the reality, though, because when we pray, our desire is, Lord, I'm praying ultimately, if we're doing it for the right reasons, because I want you to answer this prayer. I want you to you know, minister to my needs or the needs of someone else that I'm lifting up. So ultimately, we want the reward of answered prayer. And the Jews of Jesus' day, they they wanted that as well. When they prayed, they wanted God to to answer their prayers. But Jesus is sharing with us something very important. When the motive's wrong, especially when your motive is just to be seen by others, the only reward you're getting is their praise. You're not going to get the reward of answered prayer. And so when the motive's wrong, something we need to understand about prayer, because if you're praying, hopefully the reason you're praying is because, Lord, I want you to actually answer this. If you do it with the wrong motive, God's making clear I'm not going to answer your prayers, So make sure you do it with the right motive. So Jesus starts off with the wrong motive. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be praying just to be seen. Instead, he gives us the motive that we should have and an example of how that looks. Notice what he says in verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who sees in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So he starts with, don't be praying on the street corners and the synagogues to be seen by everyone. Instead, when you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father who sees in the secret place. You see, the hypocrites pray so that everyone could see them. And Jesus is saying, you, you pray so that only God can see you. Notice it doesn't just say, go into your room. It says, then close the door. So that it's just you and you alone. No one can see in. It. It's just you in there, you and God. God's the only one who's seen you. He's your only audience. You're not trying to impress anyone. It's just prayer between you and him. And so Jesus is saying that should be the heart motive. It should be God, I am lifting up this prayer to you. You're the focus. You're the one that I'm doing this for. You're the one that I'm communicating to. Now, once again, Jesus is not saying that, hey, the only way you should pray is behind closed doors when you're alone and all public prayer is bad. You know, he's not communicating that. He's just wanting to, to see the heart motive here of when we pray, it should be for God, to God, not to impress others or for others. And, you know, we sometimes have that, you know, problem when we're, we're praying in a group where we kind of, you know, try to. Impress and do these things, but ultimately it should be to God for His ears because He's the one that we're seeking to have move uh, through our prayers. And so um, don't be like the hypocrites who are trying to put on a show. Instead, be like those who just go into their quiet room in that secret place and they pray to the Lord. And notice what Jesus says is the result of those types of prayers in verse 6 Your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So when you're praying publicly for the heart to be seen by people, no reward. When you're praying privately, when it's just about being seen by God, the motive of your heart is right. Jesus says, those are the prayers that God answers. So if you want to have answered prayers, make sure the motive of your heart is in the right place. So the first thing Jesus shares with us is the motive that God wants us to have when we pray and the motive he doesn't. We shouldn't pray with the motive to be seen and heard by others. We should pray with the motive to be seen and heard by God. And the ultimate reason is because the right motive gets you answered prayer and the wrong motive doesn't. And so that should be uh, something that hopefully moves us to do what is right when we come to prayer. Well, now Jesus is going to transition. Now that he's talked about motive, he's going to talk about how do you communicate? Because there's a wrong way to communicate to God with prayer. And then there's a proper way to do that. And he's going to share that with us next in verses 7 and 8. Let's see what he says. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your father knows the things you need before You ask him when you and I pray something that we shouldn't do in our communication with God is use vain repetitions. Now this Greek word translated vain repetition means to repeat the same thing over and over to use many idle words to babble. And so Jesus starts with the motive of your heart, this is the way it should be, and for many of the Jews, that was their struggle of whether they're, you know, doing it publicly for the approval of the public, but now Jesus moves to another group of people, he's talked about Jews, but he says, you know what, there's, there's an example that's negative uh, in prayer, and it's the heathens, uh, and the heathens pray in a way that has this vain repetition, they think, well, if I just keep babbling on with the same thing over and over again, finally this, you know, God that I... I think exists is going to answer my request. Well, we have an example of this in many portions of Scripture. One of them is 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, in 1 Kings, we have the, the great prophet Elijah, and he challenges these other prophets who were heathens. They were prophets of a God called Baal, and he says to them, you know what, let's have a competition. Let's find out who the real God is. This is what we'll do. We'll pray. We'll ask our God to send fire from heaven and consume an altar. And whoever the real God is, is going to be the one that can send fire from heaven. And whoever the false God is, is going to be the one who can't. You guys can go first. Now notice what they do. Their opportunity now to pray to their God, Baal. And this is what happens. 1 Kings 18, 26. So they took the bull, which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the names of Baal from morning till evening, uh, morning and even till noon, sorry, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered, and they leaped about the altar which they had made. So notice from morning till noon, and it is just continue to repeat the same thing over and over and over and over. There's this vain repetition that happens from these heathen prophets. And Jesus says, don't be like that. Don't have this vain repetition in our prayers. Something we need to understand God's not deaf. The first time you pray something, he hears it. It's not like, what'd you say? Can you repeat that a few more times so so I can get it? We don't need to repeat our prayers over and over again. God hears us. When we pray, we need to know something about God. Notice what Jesus goes on to say in verse eight. Therefore, do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. You know, God knows everything. He knows everything about your life. He knows every need that you have. He knows every situation and circumstance that you're in now and that you're going to face in the future. He knows far more than you do. And so we need to understand something about prayer that is misunderstood by many. The purpose of prayer is not to inform God of something he doesn't know. God, I know you don't know that there's a circumstance going on right now in my life, but I need to tell you about it so that you can come do something for me because you're obviously clueless of what's taking place. No, he's not clueless. He knows exactly what's happening. Oh, Lord, you know what's going on over here in this country and all these bad things. I mean, surely you're just, you need me to tell you. You need me to inform you of what's taking place. Prayer is not for us to inform God of anything. He already knows everything. We shouldn't be praying with that mindset thinking that we have to do that. Jesus wants us to understand who we're praying to. We're praying to a God who hears our prayers the first time. We're also praying to a God who knows everything. And so we just need to bring our prayers before him and ask him to meet our needs. So we shouldn't be praying thinking I must repeat the same thing over and over and over again or I must inform God. He doesn't need us to do that. So when we pray God doesn't want us to communicate with these Vain repetitions, but how does he want us to communicate? How should we address him in our prayers? Well, Jesus is going to give us a model way to pray. An example of of how we can address God in prayer. Notice what he says in verses 9 through 13. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, this is one of the most memorized passages of scripture. John 3.16 is memorized a little bit more, but the Lord's Prayer is one of the most memorized and probably the most repeated verse in the Bible. But something we need to understand and where many people miss here, Jesus didn't give us this model prayer just to memorize it and repeat it. He didn't just want us to quote it all the time. Uh, people don't really oftentimes understand the point. The significance, why he shared these things, it wasn't just for us to, okay, I'll just repeat this prayer over and over again. Because notice what Jesus just said, don't be like the heathen who have these vain repetitions. And oftentimes people use the Lord's Prayer in the same way. I'll just every single night repeat these words because that's all that Jesus wants me to do. Every time I pray, if I just quote this, then my prayers are done. That's not the point of what Jesus is sharing here. That's not what he's doing. He's saying here is a model here's a way that will demonstrate how you should pray, who you should address, what you should kind of include, but I'm not asking you to repeat these exact words over and over again. That's not the point. Many believers have kind of missed that, and they've missed kind of what Jesus is sharing here. But let's look at what this model is and what he's trying to communicate through this model so that we can have a better understanding of how we should pray. So in this model prayer, Jesus reveals to us Four important things. Four things that should be in all of our prayers. Uh, and and just keep this in mind as we go through this. And as you start to pray more, hopefully you include these things. Because that's what Jesus is saying. When you communicate with God, make sure these things are in your prayer. So first, who we pray to and the relationship we have with him. Second, whose kingdom and will should be the focus and desire of our prayers. Third, who we should bring our needs before and fourth who we should praise and give credit to in our prayers. And so keep these four things in mind. These are the things that Jesus is saying, as you pray, include this in your prayer life. And so let's start with the first thing that should be in our prayers. Jesus says, in this manner, therefore, pray our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The first thing that we should have in our prayer is an understanding of who we're praying to and the relationship that we have with the one that we are addressing. Jesus says, pray our father. You know, I love this term. I love the fact that we can actually use it. That's such a, a privileged title. In the Hebrew, the word is Abba. We see that in scripture, Abba. Jenny and I, when we were in Israel, you know, the word actually is literally translated daddy. And when we were in Israel, we saw little kids running up to their dad and they say, Abba, Abba. You know, just like little kids today, I got two little girls and I love it when I come home and oh, daddy, daddy. And they come give me a big hug. You know, it's this intimate word. It's this privileged um, title. And, you know, there's only two people in the whole world right now who can use that term with me. I mean, you guys could come and say, Daddy, Daddy, but it'll just be really awkward and I'm not your daddy, so please don't do it. But my girls do that because they have something that you don't. This intimate relationship with me as their father. And it's such a wonderful privilege role, a wonderful privilege relationship. And guess what? That's what we have with the creator of heaven and earth. He is our father. It is such a wonderful thing to understand and we need to recognize that. You know, Ephesians Chapter one is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible because it shares with us all these things that we've been given by God. But one of the blessings that we've been given is in verse five, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. One of the greatest blessings that you and I have been given is that God has adopted us as his children. He didn't just die on the cross to pay for our sins, which is wonderful and important for sure, but he went a step further. He says, you know what? I'm not just going to pay for your sin. I'm not just going to make it so you can have a relationship with me as a friend. I'm going to go one step further. I'm going to adopt you into my family. I'm going to make you my child. I am going to be your father. You are going to be my children. This is one of the greatest blessings that we've been given. And we need to recognize that when we come to God, that is the role that he is in our life. He is our father. We have that privileged, intimate relationship. And notice that Jesus doesn't, Say other terms. He's not your boss in heaven. He's not your genie in heaven. He's not the angry God on the throne, never wanting to do anything for you in heaven. And I know for me in my own life as a Christian, I kind of thought those three things were true in my prayer life of coming to God more as the boss as opposed to the father. Because, you know, when you come to God as a boss, the boss likes it when you do a good job and he doesn't like you when you don't. And that's kind of the relationship. It's a workspace relationship. So when I do good, then I can pray. And that's how I kind of grew up thinking, you know, oh, I've had a good day. You know, I maybe read my Bible. I've done some good works. I think I've I've come to a place where I can actually address God in prayer today because I saw him as that boss. But when I failed and I had a miserable day, then it was like, I'm not praying. I mean, come on. God's not going to want to hear anything from me. I haven't done enough good stuff to earn the privilege to address God in prayer because I saw him as the boss and instead of the father. Now, there's also been times in my life where I've seen him as the genie. God, you're just there to grant my wishes. You're just there to give me what I want. And so only time I pray to you is because I got a need. Hey, Lord, give me this. Give me that. Give me this. Give me that. And so I didn't see him as the father. I saw him just kind of as the, the genie I could utilize and take advantage of instead of the father I had this wonderful relationship with. But, you know, for many as well, they, they see God as kind of this angry God on the throne who doesn't want to do anything for you. You kind of have to manipulate him. You kind of have to twist his arm to get anything from him. He just is angry. He's just upset at everybody. He doesn't want to give you anything. And once again, there's just such a wrong view of what the scriptures reveal revealed to us about the God that we pray to. He is our Father. And that's such an important thing for us to understand as we come to Him. And so Jesus isn't just saying, hey, use this term over and over again. That's what's important. He's saying the term should help you understand the relationship. It should help you understand who you're praying to. It's not saying father, father, father that makes your prayer so good. It's actually realizing you are my father. I have this relationship and I'm addressing you because you are the one who has adopted me into your family because I've accepted Jesus Christ in my life. But he goes on to add this phrase in heaven. You're not just the father, but you're the father in heaven. And I want us to note two important things about that because sometimes we just kind of blow by that. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be my name, and he's kind of going. But in heaven actually is significant. It reveals some things that are important to know. Second Chronicles 20, verse 6 tells us, O Lord God of our, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might? so that no one is able to withstand you. You know, when we think of this reality of God in heaven, it should help us to see the power, the dominion, the the might that he has, and everything is under him. Every kingdom, every ruler, every president, every king or queen or whatever, all these people that we think have so much power, they are all subject to the one with the greatest power of all, our Father who's in heaven, who is in complete control. And just that reality should be something that encourages us that nothing is too big for him, nothing is too hard for him, nothing is impossible for him. He is the God who dwells in heaven, who created everything that we have and can take care of any situation that we have and we face. And so we can bring that to him i think another important thing of understanding god in heaven psalms eleven four says the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven his eyes behold his eyelids test the son of men you know our god in heaven sees everything there's nothing hidden from him and this is something that, you know, Jesus already talked about in the vain repetitions. God knows it all. He sees it all. He, You he, he can't hide stuff from him, but you also don't have to inform him of everything. And there's times that we don't even know stuff. And it's like, I got it. You, you just come to me. I know what your needs are. I know what's best for you. And so even if we can't articulate it perfectly or we can't even, we don't even know everything that's going on, God sees it all. God knows it all. And that's such a wonderful thing for us that that's the one we're praying to. We have this intimate relationship with the all-powerful, all seeing all-knowing creator of heaven and earth. And we have that privilege to come boldly to the throne of grace where we can find mercy and help in our time of need. So it's our Father in heaven, but Jesus also tells us something else. He says we should pray, hallowed be your name. Now the Greek word here translated hallowed is used 29 other times in the New Testament. And 26 of those times it's actually translated Sanctify. The word means to be holy, to be set apart, to be separate from profane and sinful things. And this is a wonderful truth about God. We don't just say, hallowed be your name. You know, the reality of this term is speaking about the fact that we are praying to a God who is sinless. We are praying to a God who is not a part of those things. And that's something that's so encouraging that you can know the God that I serve He's not going to do something evil or wicked to me because he's sinless. That's not even part of his character and nature. That's not something that he does. But I think that's a, a problem that we have. And, you know, I even talk with people who, you know, think, well, I, I don't know if I want to follow God because, you know, maybe he'll send me to some, you know, mission field with a bunch of snakes that I hate or something. It's like, you know, we have this mindset like God just wants to punish us. And, you know, no, he, he's not sinful. There's no sin with him at all. He's someone who is perfect and holy and he will always do what's Right. He's never going to even when you ask him, just like a a father that I am and my kids come and say, hey, can I have this? And it's bad for them. Guess what? The answer is no. Me even being sinful, as Jesus tells his disciples, know how to give good gifts to my children. How much more God who's sinless when we come to him and say, Lord, let me have this. And he says, no, that's bad for you. He's not going to answer that request. But when you come to and say, Lord, can I have this, which is good for me? Yes, absolutely. Because he's our loving heavenly father who wants to bless us with things that are going to be beneficial to us. Now, I think the other thing that I really find is important to understand God's holiness, this perfection that he has, this sinlessness that he has, is we need to approach him, not just the, the intimacy that we see from the father perspective, but we also need to have a balance with respect and reverence. And I think sometimes we come to God a little too flippantly. It's kind of, oh, you're just my father and I, you know, we have this intimacy and, and we kind of miss the fact that you also are perfect and holy and sinless and there needs to be a reverence and a respect that brings that, you know, that so there's that balance. Because some people swing too much. It's like, this all reverence and fear and I can't approach you because you're just too holy and I'm in awe. And then there's those who are just like, I'm super flippant, I can do whatever I want. But I think it's that balance in the middle of saying, you are my father. I can come boldly, but I need to come with reverence and respect. And I think just these words aren't just terms to repeat. It's just to understand who are we praying to? We're praying to a father Who is in heaven, who is all powerful, but he's sinless. He's perfect. He's holy. And this is so important for us to grasp. But the first important thing we should understand about prayer is who it is we're praying to and the relationship we have with him. We're praying to a holy, all powerful God that is our father. Let's see the second thing that Jesus says should be included into our prayers. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The second thing that should be in our prayers is an understanding of whose kingdom and whose will should be the focus and the desire of our prayers. And this one is difficult for us because we often get it backwards. We also often have the wrong focus, the wrong will, the wrong desires that we're trying to fulfill within our prayer life. And so Jesus tells us the focus and desires of our prayer should be for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, this is important because in heaven, guess what? God's will is always done. Everything that God wants happens just like he wants it. And our prayer should be, Lord, we want to see here on this earth that take place. Your will be done. Now, what is our problem? Our problem is oftentimes my prayer is more, Lord, my will be done. That's what I want. You know, let let what I desire to be done. That's my heart. I want this and I want that. And I want you to give me here and there. And it's all about me and my will and my desires as opposed to. No, that's not what prayer is about. Prayer's about asking God to ultimately do his will and his desires. It's to align myself with God, what he desires, not what I desire. Prayer is not an argument with God to persuade him to move things our way. It's an exercise where we are enabled by God's spirit to move ourselves his way. G. Campbell Morgan, a great pastor and commentator, says this. The first passion of prayer is a passion that God's will may be done, that God's heart would be satisfied and that God's purposes would be realized. God wants us to pray for his will and way above our own. And so when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, don't just quote that. That's not the point. Oh, I've done it, Lord. All right. I'm, I'm, I can move on. I've said those words. Everything's good. No. The, the point is, who cares if you say those words? If your still desire is my will, my will, my purpose is to be done. It should help us to change and understand the meaning and the focus of what our prayers should be all about. And so the second important thing we should understand about prayer is it's God's kingdom and God's will that should be the focus and desires of our prayer, not our kingdom and our will. So now we're going to see the third thing that Jesus reveals that should be in our prayers in verses 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The third thing that should be in our prayers is understanding who is it that we should be bringing our needs to. Well, Jesus gives us three specific needs that we should ask God for. So after we recognize, which is an important order, that it's God's will, not our own. Before you get into asking for your needs, you need to understand it's all about God's will and his desires, because if we miss that, then we are always focused on needs that you know we're praying that are selfish, things that it's all about me and my desires. And so when we start with the recognition of it's God's will, God's desires, then we move to this phase where Jesus says, you should pray for your needs. And here's some specific needs to address before the Lord. The first need that Jesus tells us to pray for is give us this day our daily bread. When Jesus is speaking about our daily bread, he's speaking about the daily provisional needs that you and I have that we ask God to provide for us. This is important because oftentimes if you're anything like me in my Christian life, you just kind of pray for the great big needs or at least what you think are the great big needs. And, you know, the daily needs, you know, I can take care of that my own God, but I need you here. This is this huge situation, this huge problem or this person that's causing me all this issues. That's what I'm going to pray for. But Jesus says, you know, what? I want you to address me and pray for your daily needs, the provision that you have. But I think it's also important for us to understand Jesus is saying for our needs we should pray, not for our wants we should pray. And we need to distinguish those because so often we convince ourselves, oh, I really need this, when reality is we don't need it at all. We just want it. Uh, God provides needs. He promises that he will take care of our needs. And sometimes we get upset with him and say, God, why haven't you taken care of this need? Well, because it's not a need. It's a want. You desire it. You want it, but you don't need it. You know, I'm going to give you, you know, food to eat. I'm going to give you shelter to be in. But, you know, you might not be in the mansion that you want or the beamer that you want or whatever. But, you know, you'll have what you need. There's a difference between needs and wants. And we need to recognize that because sometimes we might get a little bit upset. Lord, why aren't you giving me my needs? Well, is it really? And when it's not coming, then I think you can conclude it's not a need because God promises I will take care of your needs. And so, okay, well, that's just something I want, but it's not something that I need to have. So one of the things we should always include in our prayers is asking God for our daily needs. There's nothing too trivial, nothing too small to talk to God about. The second thing that Jesus says we should pray for is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Our greatest need is to be forgiven of our sins. If we do not come to God for forgiveness, then we are bound forever in hell. The very clear. We have to come to God, accept who Jesus Christ is, that He is God, that He died on the cross for our sin, that He rose from the dead, and to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, to believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. And we need to come to Him and repent and confess our sins, and He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession of sin... Asking God to forgive us of our sin is so huge for us. And Jesus says, you need to do this. Guess what? I don't think there's probably anyone here who probably doesn't daily sin. You know, we all regularly sin. Maybe we can get through one day. But, you know, the reality is we are regularly sinning. And so we regularly need to come to God and confess those sins and get forgiveness from God for our sins. But notice that Jesus doesn't just say, you know what, ask God for forgiveness. He goes on to say something else That I think is very important. He says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, this is something I think is just so important for us that, you know, we can't just ask God to forgive us and not be willing to forgive others. I think the reality is once you grasp how much you've been forgiven, how much undeserving it is, how much you know you don't deserve any forgiveness from God. You're a guilty sinner who deserves hell, but yet God in his grace has given you forgiveness because of the sacrifice of his son. For us to then turn around and say, I am not going to forgive this person. There's no way I'll ever do that. It gets so anti what God's all about and what God wants to do in us. And so Jesus is saying, not only should you pray for forgiveness, but you should also be willing to demonstrate it to others, and one of the greatest ways to learn and understand and experience forgiveness is to show it. And it's even more powerful when you show it to someone you think, well, they don't deserve it at all. Guess what? No, neither do you. Or well, they're so horrible, well, so were you. And so it's a, such a wonderful way to discover and learn how amazing God's forgiveness is as we seek to demonstrate that to people as well. And so don't just be like, "Lord, give me forgiveness," but I'm not going to give it to anyone else. Instead, Lord, please forgive me as I seek to forgive others as well so the third important thing we need to understand about prayer is we should bring our needs before god and these needs includes our daily provisions forgiveness overcoming temptations and deliverance from satan now let's look at the fourth thing that jesus says should be in our prayers matthew 6:13 for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen The fourth important thing that we should understand about prayer is who it is that we should be praising, who it is that we should be giving credit to in our prayers. It's God's kingdom and God's power that we should be saying, your kingdom, your power, your glory forever. Amen. Too often in prayer, it's just about me. You know, it's all about my kingdom. It's all about me getting glory. It's all about what I want and how it's going to benefit my life. And just like it's about God's will, it should also be about giving God the credit That's due to him, that he deserves, recognizing who he is and ultimately finishing it off with this term. Amen. So be it. May it be fulfilled. Lord, I want you to do this for your glory, for your will. So God doesn't just want us to memorize and repeat for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And think, great, I've done it. I'm good. My prayers, you know, fine. The words have meaning and they're to direct us to specific things about who God is and giving him the praise that he deserves. So the fourth important thing we need to understand about prayer is that we should praise and give credit to God in our prayers. So Jesus here in Matthew 6, he shares two very important things about prayer. He's not giving an exhaustive list of things that we should do, but he does just give us some great nuggets of things that we can take and put into practice. First. We shouldn't pray with the motive to be seen and heard by others. Instead, we should pray with the motive to be seen and heard by God because God only rewards prayers with the right motive. And second, we shouldn't communicate with God through these vain repetitions, this vain babbling over and over again. That's not how he wants us to do that because he already knows what we need. You know, He already sees everything. Instead, he says, here is how I want you to communicate with me. Here is this model. Follow this. We pray into a holy God who's all-powerful, that's our Father. It's God's kingdom and will that should be the focus of our prayers, not our kingdom or will, that we should bring our knees before God and that we should praise and give credit to God in our prayers. Corey Tenbroom, a wonderful Christian woman who survived the concentration camps, she said this about prayer, and I thought it was an interesting statement. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is prayer something that you use every day like you would in your car to direct yourself where you're driving? Or is it just something that you pull out every now and then when you have an emergency? Your tire is flat and you got to get the spare and now I'm going to use it. And I think too often it's the latter. We just kind of use it when the emergencies pop up in our life and that's the only time it happens and maybe right before a, day, a meal we'll, we'll, we'll use it as well. But you know what God desires from us is that we use prayer to direct our life. That in every decision we're making, we're asking for His guidance. We're, we're wanting to be in communication with Him because we truly desire that He would guide and direct our life. Ian e. Bounds probably has written more books on prayer than maybe anyone, and he said this about prayer. Prayer should not be regarded as a duty which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed. A rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. I think one of the greatest things that God has done in my life in this area of prayer is move me from the mindset of this is a duty that I have to do to this is a privilege I get to do. For so much of my Christian life, I saw prayer as just this duty I have to perform, and you probably can guess when you're in that mindset of this is something I have to do, you're much less likely to do it or even to desire to do it because it's like, oh, I just, I have to. I don't really want to communicate with the creator of heaven and earth who's my father who loves me more than anyone and can answer my needs. I mean, how horrible is that? But I mean, that's kind of the sad reality of it. We see this prayer as this duty that has to be performed instead of realizing what it truly is one of the greatest privileges that we've ever been given that so sadly we often neglect. And when God kind of helped me to see it for what it is, it changed me to be willing to pray more, to desire to pray more because I started to recognize, why neglect this? Why neglect praying to the creator of heaven and earth, to the one who is my father, to the one who laid his life down for me, to the one who can meet any need that I have, that nothing is too impossible for him. Why would I want to neglect communication with him? I mean, I should neglect communication with anyone else before neglecting communication with God. And I want to encourage you to really, if you've seen prayer more as this duty that you have to do, that's just a lie. That's not what it is. It's a privilege that you are blessed to have. And so I want to just to put a little of this teaching into practice. And I want to close in a time of prayer. And I know that there are so many needs that we could be addressing, but there are just two things on my heart as as a church that we would, you know, kind of lift up this morning to the Lord, and and one of those is, you know, there are a group of us that are going to be going to Uganda in just a few weeks, and it keeps coming quicker and quicker, and we're about to be departing. Uh, there are those who still need some financial help. We pray for the Lord's provision, but, you know, the provision in everything of preparing us practically, preparing us spiritually, we just have so many awesome opportunities to to get the gospel out to people who are open to it. You know, the harvest is ready. The laborers are few, but we are ready to go and we're ready to see God do a great work. And so I just want to encourage you this morning to be praying for our team, to be praying for what's happening on their end and preparing for the people that we're going to go into their homes, that we're going to see in schools and prisons, at crusades, at church services, that they would be open to the gospel, that they would be willing to accept it and see their life changed for all eternity and so that's one thing I really want us to just be asking God for another is you know we've I've mentioned it a few times and we've been looking for months uh, for a facility beyond this one Uh, we've been you know in need of that and uh, we've been in you know Communication with a place, trying to get our own place and uh it's been a longer process than we've thought, but we're still working through that. And just that if this is where God has us, uh that all the final doors would open and that they would, you know, accept our proposal and everything that we want and uh that God would just work that out and we'd be able to have uh, a facility that's ours instead of just this on Sunday. And so that we'd just be praying for that, and if that's not the place and the Lord has somewhere else you know, that he would, you know, just direct us and guide us, but, you know, that we just want to be where God has us, and we want the doors to open for that, and we uh, recognize that we have a need, Uh, and so let's just lift that up to the Lord, and uh, seek him, and and watch him move, and uh, help meet the needs that we have, and so those are just two things that I I love us as, as a body to kind of address this morning, and so if you want to pray, Uh, I encourage you to do that. That's not something that you you are forced to do or have to do. Uh, And after we spend a little time in prayer, uh, I'll close us in prayer. So let's go ahead and do that.